In the heart of the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty territory, Niagara's Sean Vanderclis and Carl Dockstader dish on any and all issues from a First Nations perspective. From pipeline politics to poverty to pan-Indianism and more, Sean shares his concrete curve leg take and Carl gives an urban Oneida angle. You are listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. We're here in the heart of the Papa Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara with another edition of One Dish and One Mike, featuring Carl Doxater and Sean Vanderclus. Today we're going to talk about the marvel that is residential schools. What I think I think what a lot of people don't know is how helpful residential schools were. It's it's really I think it's understated <laughs> how well intentioned and how many well intentioned people yeah. were out there helping us. I mean, it's did you know I used to be a savage? <laughs> did you know that? <laughs> no, tell me more. Well, once upon a time, our family was was living lovingly. We we were savagely. You were living savagely. savagely. Yeah, yeah. Speaking funny languages, getting our own food from nature, living in balance with the ecosystem. We were not not using money, right? Like imagine a world with no money. That makes sense. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, taxes. Awful. Yeah. How did you pay for this world? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. So so fortunately, after several beatings, a little bit of sexual abuse, and uh, plenty of uh, physical violence, and right. we learned we learned our place. Yeah. So yeah, we're now we're now civilized people, <laughs> living in a civilized world. Yes, yes. So uh, the first person I'd like to thank is is Senator Lynn uh, Biot 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 Right. Let's sure. go with Biot. All right, Senator Lynn Biot. If we have that wrong, then uh, maybe we should go to residential school and, <laughs> and learn English better. Right. I think. I think. So, what's your take? What 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 happened there? For maybe maybe for the listeners that that don't know, a Canadian senator, which is this unnecessary level of government right. that, that Canada sees fit to have, and it's sort of made up political system that still has crowns at the head of it. There, in addition to having an unnecessary crown, there are these unnecessary senators that are unelected and appointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's, there's so no political, a political oh, yeah. appointee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, in the world that is technology, I've uh, been fortunate enough to get a copy of what Miss Bayok Biok has said, and she said, and I quote: "Today, I will take a broad look at several timely Indigenous issues that are before us. I speak partly for the record, but mostly in memory of the kindly and well-intentioned men and women, and their descendants." perhaps some here in this chamber, whose remarkable work, good deeds, and historical tales in the residential schools go unacknowledged for the most part and are overshadowed by negative reports. Obviously, the negative issues must be addressed, but it's unfortunate unfortunate that there are sometimes magnified and considered more newsworthy than the abundance of good. Quote, unquote. And, wow. Um, It's 21st century. To have these views, to have these perceptions of what residential schools are. I mean, you, you, if you were to go back in time to 2008 when Stephen Harper made the apology for the residential schools, he unequivocally said the point of a residential school is to kill the Indian in the child. Yeah. 
I, I mean, that that was the whole. I, I I don't doubt that there were some people that thought that they were helping. I don't right. doubt that there were many people that thought that they were helping. Right. But to to try and emphasize that as a point of pride for yeah. Canadian history on any level is is shameful. It's it's absolutely shameful. And like, I listen. I don't doubt that there may have been participants in the school who may have had a positive experience. Right. I. Don't doubt that at all. It's possible. I mean, we are humans, and sometimes um, humans do good things. But for the most part, that's not the case. Yeah. I'm not going to highlight one positive experience that overshadows thousands of experiences, right? For the for the most part, it's it's pretty unanimous. The cons- consensus is in residential schools were not a positive thing. Yeah, she. I mean, uh, Senator Senator Bayak. She highlights Thompson Highway, right? Yeah. And that I think that's where it's maybe a little bit easy to get mistaken on on what happened there. Any good that came from the residential schools was a result of the resilience of the indigenous students who went to the residential schools. Right. Period. The, yeah. uh, the teachers don't get credit. Right. The the priests don't get credit. The, right. the politicians don't get credit for for any of that. If if an indigenous child went to a residential school, which was a fundamentally broken system, yeah. and managed to actually come out ahead of where they were before they went into the school, I, I think that that's that's the story yeah. of indigenous resilience. That in and of itself is a testimony yeah. to the accomplishments and and the ability of our people. And not, I'm sorry, they're just there. There's not a world in which willing to give any credit to right. to the people that ran the residential schools that's that's not there there may have been well-intentioned nazis yeah. yeah but when would we be celebrating them when's that day yeah exactly is senator bayak going to lead that call too yeah and maybe i guess to put it into context for some people i mean we may have people listening here who have no clue what uh, residential schools are it was the policy of the canadian government essentially to take native indigenous children from their families um put them in a essentially a boarding school and teach them for 10 months out of the year approximately um the last school officially closed in 1996 again i want to say that the last school in canada closed in 1996 yeah that's i mean i'm in my 30s yeah. so i would have been 16 at the yeah. time so i was i was for, 10 at the time half of my life resident there have been residential yeah. schools still half of my life yeah. like a third of my life relatively yeah. young young person that's many most of the listeners have been alive while yeah. while residential schools were open it's yeah. so it, it's not this phenomenon that exists in the past or something that that's far away i mean that, right. that's i think also to give a little context that's that's where this all started was was the langevin block again forgive me if i'm yeah. if i'm not saying that right but the the Langevin, Langevin yeah. block in, yeah. in Ottawa, right, is is named after one of the architects of the Indian residential school system. Right. And there was a call to change the name of a building. So what? Change, yeah. change the name of the building. There, there's some great expense associated with yeah. that. Apparently, Senator Senator Bayak is claiming that, that it would be so costly that, yeah. that they wouldn't be able to afford water. Yeah. Uh, they, they can. You can either pay to change the name of the Langevin block or you can bring water yeah. to, to First Nations reserves yeah. that, that haven't had water for, for all this time. So I guess given the choice of the two, then let's snap our fingers and have water already. Right. For, I mean, we're, what, a year and a half? 
half into the new government, yep. and there's still there's still water crisis, there's right. still a suicide crisis, there's still a housing crisis, yep. there's still a health crisis, there's still a missing and murdered Indigenous women yep. crisis, there's still a number of crises. But please, let's talk about how great residential schools are. <laughs> let's let's dedicate yep. hours of news time and pages of editorial comments to to how wonderful the residential school system was and, and how uncelebrated the non-Indigenous heroes of the residential school system were. Oh yep. my goodness. For me, like, again, like, I, I cannot believe, I cannot fathom that we're having this conversation. Like, it just, <laughs> like, are we in, like, the Twilight Zone? Is this is this a thing, really? Um, we have all of these inequalities in in this world. Like you said, you just went off and listed a bunch of them. But yet, the topic of the day is well-intentioned schools. Yeah. Well-intentioned schools. And now, to put more context to that, Lynn, Senator Lynn Bayek is a conservative senator who holds a seat in the Aboriginal caucus. So she is one of the voices who essentially has the ability to make profound change in our lives and still holds these views today. That, I mean, that, that's the scary part is that Lynn, Lynn Bayak says that her comments are widely, <laughs> widely supported right. and that she has, of course, she has indigenous friends, oh, right? Because everybody has indigenous and, friends and, and she, that makes it okay. She suffered with the residential school of victims too. That's one of the things she said. I have suffered with these people. Yeah, that's, I'll bet, I'll yeah. bet she really feels that pain. Yeah, right? like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As a senator, you know, probably as she was expensing some dinners on some first class <laughs> flights, she was probably really, tears were coming from her eyes right? when, when it, she was thinking about it. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't mean to, I mean, earlier on, I sort of mo- was mocking the crown system and the senator, uh, the fact that we have appointees right. or that, that Canada has appointees and, and it, it's, it's not our ways yeah. to uh, mock the Canadian system. Yeah. But when she says, when Senator Bayak says that she's widely supported, yeah. uh, I'm a little scared because I don't doubt that there's a lot of truth to that. Because right. it, it segued into her all of a sudden becoming critical of, of First Nations finances taxes. and starting to talk about taxes and protecting ratepayer interests and then and then sort of getting into that, getting into that whole bit where... Um, I want you guys audited. Yeah, I want you guys audited was yeah. was where she eventually ended up. Um, she starts to talk about specifically her exact words again from the comments where where she was talking about the noteworthiness of of the good the good doers in the residential school. She also talks about how we need a national audit on every single dollar coming and going out of the indigenous file. So the implication there is that there's corruption on first nations reserves and that there's mismanagement of funds, which I don't doubt, but has anybody heard of this? There's this thing in Niagara called the Niagara Peninsula conservation authority. Oh yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it. Doesn't want to get audited. Yeah. They don't want to get audited. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Because everything's on the up and up. Right. Right. And and the mere mention of an audit is, is seen as being somewhat of an insult and it took it took a year and grassroots movements and a bunch of efforts even to get yep. them audited. So the NPCA, I'm not I'm not going to say on this podcast right here, right here, right <laughs> today that they are corrupt. I'm not going to say that they're absolutely 100 percent corrupt. But 
I'm not going to say that there was foul play on the Burgoyne Bridge, just yeah. just a few blocks from where we are right right now. I'm not I'm not going to say that, but the what I am going to say is that there's an appearance the <laughs> there's an appearance of impropriety, yeah. and there's a great resistance to resolve that. It's taken a great amount of time. Uh, so, and, and I mean, the real point of what I'm trying to say is is that there's improper use of funds on any level of government. Right. Anytime you have funds that are administered, there there's corruption. So to pinpoint to to imply that there's an Indian industry. She doesn't even say indigenous or native yep. industry. She says Indian yep. industry, and she she refers at least a couple of times in her speech to the Indian industry. Yep. So so I'm I'm going to call a spade a spade and say that referring to the Indian I- industry as the root of corruption again is a little racist yep. when clearly there's corruption all across the non-indigenous system. So I think that there should be a full-on audit of of every institution where tax In dollars are used. Yeah, all, yeah, yeah. all of them. Nationwide. For, for for everything, but but not prorated that, it, that it's going to be indigenous people first. That's, that's wrong. Right. And I think Senator Sinclair, too, kind of hit the nail on the head when he said that every governor general – sorry, every uh, auditor general – in the last couple of years has said that we are the most audited people in the history of this country, in the history of this country. Any programs that come out of First Nations is held to a scrutiny that is higher than any, any other program available. Yeah, I believe that. And it's, it's, it's insulting when it, when it comes down to it. Yeah, I uh I mean it, it in terms of, like we're such a small portion of the budget too. Like right. that I think I mean this this goes back to we we talked in in one of our past podcasts about myths, right? right. And one of the myths again is is that you and I get these big fat casino checks every month and, right. or tax breaks and we never pay for anything and live this whole sort of tax-free life. In actuality, the federal budget just came out and the real numbers are that it's been around 8 billion dollars to get allocated for all of the First Nations reserves in all of right. Canada. That's that's 8 billion of a $300 billion budget. Right. So you don't even need to bust out a calculator to, to realize that we represent 4 or 5% of the population. and that, yep. That's less than 4 or 5% of the total budget. Correct. So the dollar per person that goes, that's dedicated to Indigenous people, is less than the money that gets spent in a lot of other areas. But yep. again, year after year, it's a file of extra scrutiny. Yep. Do they scrutinize every single file the way that they scrutinize the Indigenous file? No. Other, other than our leaders who have made it clear that there's not enough money going to, I mean, think of Cindy Blackstock, right? right? And think of the $150 million that the, that the tribunal mandated that Canada pay for children. Oh, sorry, for First oh, sorry. Did, they, did they pay it though? Did they pay it? I don't know. Did they pay it? They did not yeah. pay it. $150 million, a, a yeah. drop in the bucket virtually right. in a $300 billion budget and a budget that was $22 billion, that ran a yeah. $22 billion deficit. Sorry. They couldn't tack on that $150 million that was Court mandated Could by a you, tribunal. What was the what was the verdict though? Like, what were they found guilty of? Do you know? Uh, maybe maybe you're a little more familiar yeah. with this file. It's called discrimination. Yeah. When it comes down <laughs> yeah. to it, Canada was found to be discriminating against First Nations children all across this country. They were held to account, and they've been ordered by a tribunal to pay upwards of a hundred million, hundred and fifty million dollars. This came in what about a year ago, two years ago? You don't mean you must mean 150 years ago, something like that. You must mean 100 <laughs> years ago. You must mean 50 years yeah. ago. You must mean 10 years ago. No, this nope. just happened a couple years ago. A couple years ago. Wow. 
So when's it going to end? Exactly. Or is it that, that maybe, you know what, maybe it's that Canada is trying so hard and there's people that are just doing so much good yeah. that they don't need to pay this $150 yeah. million dollars because the, the goodwill, like the goodwill of the people that ran the residential yeah. school will, will will their way into a better future for our young people. Maybe that's what's happening, right? Maybe. I yeah. don't know. Maybe we should ask Cindy Blackstock if she just happens to be listening. Yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe she could inform a lot of people. As a matter of fact, for, for any any listeners that are out there, if you see the name Cindy Blackstock on, on a news article, on an editorial, if you see her commentary, read every word and, and understand that this is this is a very credible woman who's dedicated her life to the welfare of First Nations, First Nations children. She has recognized the longstanding still... Uh, remaining effects of the residential school system, yeah. I, and I think I think that's the thing. The last residential school closed in 1996, yeah. but the child apprehension rate is is still higher higher now. It's that's higher right than now. it was during the 60s scoop. We than it was more, during the residential. We school. have more children in care than we did at the height of the residential school movement. Yeah. So more of our children are apprehended at a higher rate than they were when they were being taken away to go to schools. <clears throat> Which again? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Fuck. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. I, 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 for a second there, I'm like, can I swear? Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> it's, it's and then I realized it's my show. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, we're you know we're kind of laughing while we while we talk about this stuff, but it's, I mean, it's a bittersweet. I mean, it, it, it's it, but there, actually, there's there's no sweet side of it. it, yeah. it it's really like like it. One of the things again, sort of taking it back to Senator to Senator Bayak, is she implies that we're applying presentism. Like they had the great John A. McDonald debate, right? Yeah. And was he really a good guy? Was right. he really a good prime minister? Well, I mean, he he was super racist, yeah. said super racist things, and acted super racist policy, not just against First Nations yeah. people, but but also against the Métis, the yeah. Inuit, and and Chinese well, people. What happened he, to Louis Riel? Right? Dragged people. Well, yeah, there there yeah. there's the whole. I mean, crushing the Red River Rebellion yeah. in, in the form that he did. Yeah. Uh, but then using Chinese people to build the railway and. And yep. the very second that they were done offering any utility value to to the nation of Canada, the second that that utility value was was done, they were denied citizenship. Yep. They were forced to pay head taxes. There were there were all kinds of nasty things again, and, and people people died were blatantly used. So it was super racist. So, but defenders of John A. Macdonald will say will use a term called presentism. Yeah. And presentism is when you take the moral standards of 2017 and you apply them to to 1867. Yeah. But I think I think that that's an oversimplification. And but even if you do apply presentism to John A. Macdonald, right. even if you do apply presentism to to Langevin, uh, it's still in 2017 the the racist policy around Indigenous children is still continuing. Yeah. So it, it nullifies the presentism argument because it hasn't ended. Yeah. We yeah. don't have that high moral standard in 2017 it, to, to it's look at it. Racist now. Yep. And it's racist then. Yeah, it, right? yeah. You know, I hate to throw around that word. I really yeah. do because I would hate to. I, but because it's it's not a nice word, right? And it means that some not nice things are happening. But I can't think of any other explanation for it than racism, than outright racism. And and for me too, like I mean, we're coming up on Canada's hundred one hundred and fiftieth anniversary, and uh, I know a lot of people in this area are going to be um, looking to celebrate and looking for a lot of Indigenous people to to celebrate with. But politicians, don't be surprised if people are reluctant to do so. 150 years of B 
being in this country is not a positive thing for Indigenous people. It's not a, poli- uh, a positive thing for myself. It's not a positive thing for my family. Um, it's just not. I mean, my kids have to see these things, right? Like, I, I, I take... Um, uh, not a proactive stance, but I, I post a lot of articles on Facebook. And my son, 11 years old, has a Facebook, and he's reading these articles. And he, my son's like, Dad, I want to go to a residential school. I'm like, you what? He's like, I want to go to a residential school. Like, to influence our children, you know what I mean? To, to kind of essentially rewrite history is a slap in the face when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's not right. Uh, on any level. Right. So that, I mean, and that, in terms of Canada 150, it's like Canada came out with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Right. I truly believe that uh, for most of our life, we've been talking to people that understand where we're coming from, right. that understand a lot of the arguments that we're making, that have seen the forced assimilation, the racism, they've seen the, the, systa- the systemic destruction of our ways. They are familiar with a lot of the negative things that have happened, but we've, we've been talking to the same basic people. And then fast forward to last year and the year before when, when finally Canada releases the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Right. They tried with the Kelowna Accord, they tried with the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, mm-hmm. they tried with the Ipperwash Inquiry, yeah. they tried there were all these different initiatives, the nineteen eighty two Constitution Act yeah. even was was something that, that I think was was net positive for, for our people and for Canadian people to understand the plight of the indigenous person. But but I finally started to see in two thousand and fifteen, two thousand and sixteen, my friends and neighbors and people that that weren't in my inner circle and right. maybe not necessarily educated on indigenous issues, I finally started to see them understand the plight of our people right. and realizing that that Canada has this really dark history and that in order to to truly reconcile that history that it needs to be acknowledged mm-hmm. every Canadian needs to be aware of the injustice that happened the forced assimilation again the, the right. racist policy and and all of the wrongs so I've, I've been hope filled for most of 2016 yeah. and then it, it's almost like there's going to be this little reset switch that happens. Well, okay, just, let's just pause reconciliation. Let's just take a break from reconciliation yeah. for a second. Celebrate how wonderful Canada is for yeah. the entire 2017 for Canada's 150th yeah. anniversary. And then maybe we'll get back to the reconciliation. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll get back to that stuff afterwards. So it's it, Canada being 150 Reconciliation is a part of that. Yeah. Gordon Downey and the Secret Path is a part of that. Yeah. The story of the residential school, the amazing story of the survivors of residential school who who led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's something that, again, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but that was actually started by survivors of, of residential school right. that said that we need to do something. To, to me, this this is a very formative time in, in the history of, of Canada. Canada can go one of two ways right now. Right. They, can, they can go back to the status quo which will effectively destroy any moral high ground that right. Canada has or they can they can continue to acknowledge what's happened they can put in the over century of work that it took to get to this point because right. it took decades upon decades upon decades generations upon generations upon generations of people right. that caused Canada to get to this point it's going to take several generations to get out of it right but they're already starting to turn away from it and it's being led by people like Senator Lynn Bayak and her supporters. And and I don't know, I would like to think that she's a fringe and she's a small group of people, but I don't think I know. I mean, after seeing what's going on in the States with Donald Trump, is she, 
Yeah, right? Right? I how, mean, do, it's, how do we know? How do we as Indigenous people know that, yeah. that Canadians broadly support us? Do well, they... and the thing with um, one of the people running for Tory leadership is uh, Kevin O'Leary. And what he said is while he doesn't uh, support her comments, he would not kick her out of the Tory caucus. Essentially saying that what you did was bad, but you know what? We're going to let it go. And this guy's running for the leadership of the Tory party of Canada, right? The Conservative Party of Canada. He wants to be essentially challenged Justin Trudeau in 2019 for, for prime minister. And this is what he's saying. Like, every single politician should unequivocally ask for her to step down or resign or whatever it is. She should not be in the position she is. She should not have the amount of say and the amount of sway over what funding we receive if she holds these views, right? Um, I'm a fan of Justin Trudeau, a little bit. Um, And for him to run on the speeches that he ran on, um, to kind of put Trump in his place about uh, leading over fear, he needs to make an example of her. He needs to step up and say something. He needs to not leave it to um, to Justice Murray Sinclair. He needs to, to say, this is ridiculous. You need to do something. You cannot be holding these views. You cannot be saying these things. You cannot be having an impact on the funding that Aboriginal people are getting in Canada. That's that's the trick. Like that that that's where I had a funny feeling when these comments came out yeah. that honestly nothing was really going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't think that Senator Bayak is going to be held to account for her actions no. in, in any way, shape or form, right. which which validates her very weak and uh, very uh, arguments that have been proven historically inaccurate. Yeah. She she actually she praises the white paper in in her comments. Again, right. I'm, I'm going to quote her and she she's going to say, I, too, have followed this file for 50 years. She's she's talking about her saintly service to the Canadian people (laughs) and to Indigenous people. Um, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Indian Affairs Minister Jean Chrétien's white paper of 1969 was groundbreaking at the time. We cannot go back to it, and I'm not suggesting we should, but most of the grassroots natives were not aware of it, and many people I speak with would support something similar today. <laughs> many people would support yeah. so Have you ever, you want to see a group of crazy people, go, yeah. go, and I, I shouldn't even promote them, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about end, end race-based law. Yeah. There's this notion that I'm, I'm in favor of getting rid of the Indian Act, and we'll have to do an Indian Act podcast episode. Yeah. But the way that people want to get rid of the Indian Act is that Indigenous people are, should just be like everyday yeah. Canadian. Canadians, just like Lynn well, Bayak says, they should take a one-time payout for the treaties, and then they can go on to buy houses and have the sort of choice of lifestyle of, of living in the Canadian way. Right. So, so everything that, that I've dedicated my life to, everything that the people at the Friendship Center, in the Friendship Center movement, the people on the reservations, the, the people that have dedicated their lives to preserving the, the uh, uh, people that last night I went and saw Gahawi, the, the honoring. Yeah. And all, all that knowledge should be traded in for a couple dollars right. in the right to buy a big house and a nice car what, and live the Canadian Isn't there a word for that? Is that, is that enfranchise? Enfranchisement? Yes. Is, yes, is that what is. that is? Yes, okay. that is enfranchisement. Right? So essentially so. what she's saying, though, is let's pretend like it never happened. We'll give you some money and we'll go about our lives, right? Yeah, right. That, that's it. Can you speak to the white paper a little bit? 
Yeah, the uh, the white paper was a 1969 movement where again some some well-intentioned Canadians yeah. were trying who, who to the, serve uh, the general public. Who was the Minister of Indian Affairs at the time? Jean Chrétien. Oh, the Jean Honorable Chrétien. Jean Chrétien yeah. was the so, Minister of Indian Affairs. They yeah. did still call it Indian Affairs back then. Yeah. Well, he and, still called it like a couple years ago too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And Pierre Pierre Elliott, Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Jean Chrétien put their heads together and I I, I mean I I have to be honest and say that I I don't doubt that maybe it was well-intentioned right. but that was the idea was that there would be a one-time lump sum payout that well, would residential resolve. schools were well-intentioned too right yeah exactly yeah. exactly along the same good intentions yeah the start of the residential school movement in 1969 they presented what what uh is called the white paper and it seems fitting that they would want people to be like white people. Yeah. They called it the white paper, right? At least they got it so, right, though. Yeah, they, they got the color. They were the color open the and paper. honest about their racism. They got right. <laughs> so they presented this paper, and surprise, surprise, there was a massive backlash amongst the, the indigenous people right. and, and the uh, a large a large contingent of representatives approached them and said, no, yeah. absolutely not. Our, our people, our people have died in wars, fighting for at that time two world wars, fighting, fighting for Canada. I've mentioned in the past that the Haudenosaunee Confederacy Chiefs government doesn't recognize the authority of the government of Canada, doesn't recognize the authority of the Band Office, but did recognize the threat that the Germans posed and actually declared war on Germany in World War One and in World War Two in right. in support of the Canadians, the Americans, and the many proud soldiers that that lost their lives. So so. Those men gave their lives. The warriors that died in the War of 1812, the warriors that died in the French and Indian Wars, the warriors that died in, in the many battles, as well as the politicians that fought for their ways, the young people that continued to keep their language going in the yep. forced assimilation system of the residential school, the traditional and cultural leaders who did everything to keep the songs going, to, to keep the regalia getting yep. made, to keep all of the beadwork being done in, in the basements of buildings at the time. All those people are the people that said that stood up and said that this, this white paper is unacceptable. Right. We always have been free indigenous people and we will continue to always be free indigenous people. We do not accept your offer right. to be absorbed into the body politic of Canada. We refuse. Right. And within a couple of years, the, the movement was dead. Right. It was dead on its heels. Well, at least we thought, right? Yeah. <laughs> at least we thought almost 50 years later. Until, yeah, until apparently Senator Lynn Bayak, who, who has a, a lot of people that she knows, including yeah. indigenous people, those are great statistics she has there, yeah. that, that support this movement that she has to, to bring back a white paper-like movement. It's, yeah. it's, it's not going to happen. It's, it's never going to happen. And it's not realistic for her to say these things. But my last point is that it's, it's shameful that no one's calling her to task. Why do, why do two indigenous podcasters have to be the one right. that are calling her to task? Why, why can't there be some official level on government to say that, lady, your views are dated right. and these are unacceptable? The, the only thing that I saw was from the, uh, the church, and they unequivocally stated that residential schools were not a positive thing. But like, other than Justice Murray Sinclair, not one not that I could find, at least, when I was doing research yesterday, I couldn't find anybody who said, this is unacceptable. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. This is a podcast. Um, but I couldn't find anything. And the 30-minute the Google search that I did, not one thing. And this is the 21st century. I should be able to find something literally at, at this disposal of two minutes, right? Yeah. So doing a 30-minute search and nothing shows up is ridiculous. Like every politician should be saying, we cannot accept this. In Canada, we cannot accept this. 
Right? We take pride in our diversity. We take pride in our multiculturalism. We take pride in everything that we say we promote. But now's our chance to to kind of put the money put our money where our mouth is and nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. It, it's 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 got to change. Yeah. I don't know what reason I have to believe that it's going to change. It's like you said, the it should be it should be easy to come across the information that makes it clear that this is wrong. Yeah. There are a set of policies that that need to be reversed permanently, right. not not on the whim of whichever government happens to be in for a four-year right. period. Uh, these things need to be changed need to be changed permanently. The Catholic Church yep. has not apologized, by the right. way. The all of the other churches that were involved in the residential right. school system have issued formal apologies and have undertaken some form of effort, however however strong they may or may not have been. They have issued yep. formal apologies, which which is in and of itself. The Catholic Church still has yet to right. issue a formal apology for the residential school movement. Maybe they're one of the supporters of Limbaic. Maybe. Maybe that's uh, how do you know? Like yep. like how do I know that that nine out of ten of my neighbors don't don't support her right Right. that's 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 what's really tough for me you know what the the thing with politics too is that it's not black and white right there's a lot of gray in politics there's a lot of i can't really find the answer right so there's a lot of speculation things that happen to indigenous people is black and white right the laws that were written are black and white um so for them for people not to know and not to be pro-indigenous or or kind of kind of have these thoughts and views that yeah it's yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's unacceptable it's, just, it's unacceptable right like i yeah. mean you do the research you can find out what what uh we had to go through right i mean there's still i'm pretty sure there's still a law in canada saying that three or more indigenous people in a gathering place Right? Yeah. Go ahead, explain that. That's why there's only two of us hosting yeah, exa- the show. Because exactly. There was a time if we get a third when Indian. Three, three Indian people in the same place was, was considered to be illegal. Yeah, it so constitutes collu- a war party, yeah, right? Or colluding to yeah. do something. Yeah. Our dances were outlawed, right? Our songs were outlawed. Yeah. And for people not to understand that, I mean, again, takes a couple minutes to do Google do a Google search, right? You should know this. This should not be a contentious issue. Yeah. It shouldn't be. History has never been on our side, but in this case, it's on our side, right? Yeah. It's written down. It's It's been practiced. It's been studied. It's been examined. There's been reports upon reports that have, um, that have verified and validated everything that we're saying. So um, that being said, any kind of traveling thoughts there, Mr. Doxator? Any last-minute words that you want to leave our listeners to? Yeah, I think I think that uh, in in the vein of the great Niagara media that that exists out there, whether it's the view from the drive-through or whether it's the burning question on on Greg Miller's podcast, I think that there there are some really neat ideas that, that happen in the media. So what what Sean and I have been working on is finding a way to to wrap our show and to leave a final thought. So we're for now the working title or maybe the permanent title will be the traveling thought and that, that's a shout out to at the end of a lot of gatherings and a lot of powwows and a lot of other things there there's a traveling song one of the last things you do is 
is you try and send people off in a good way. Yeah. You try and do that one last song. And at the same time that you're doing the song, the firekeeper will often throw a log on the fire. And that last fire is meant, is meant to burn so that the ancestors can, can guide people back to where they came from in a safe and happy way. So in, in that same way, I think we'd like to try to end our podcast with, with each of us giving a traveling thoughts yeah. in the same idea as the traveling song. Yeah. So, I've given a little bit of thought to what my traveling thought for the week would be. Okay. And that, that traveling thought is, is that in spite of Senator Lynn Bayak's comments, in spite of my skepticism around the fact that there's still a crown government, the fact that there's still a level of, of appointed senators that, that are making comments along the lines of Lynn Bayak, I still, I still believe that the potential for greatness within the people of Canada exists. I still believe that that will is strong. Yeah. I think I think that that muscle is not flex enough and that mm-hmm. it's not exercise and that not enough people have come forward. But I think that every Canadian needs to come forward and say that I recognize what happened at the residential school movement. Right. I'm going to move forward and be sympathetic mm-hmm. to the plight of the Indigenous person. But most importantly, I recognize the strength and resiliency that it took for Indigenous people to get to this point in history and to live the way that they're living now. And I want to support a thriving, vibrant Indigenous culture in every single way possible in everything that I do. So it is, I've seen that hope demonstrate. I've seen that yeah. will demonstrate and I still have that hope that that's what's going to happen yeah. moving forward. And that, for anybody that's listening, that's, that's I mean, I, I expect the normalization of championing indigenous causes to become interwoven into the fabric of the Canadian identity. That's, that's my hope. That's what I believe can happen. And that's what I would encourage for any listeners. Do you, do you have any traveling thoughts? For me, one of the things that I just want to stress is do your research people. Um, you can have negative views. You can have positive views. Just make sure that the, that they're backed up by research, that they're backed up by by you taking the time and looking into whatever it is that you're talking about. Um, again, for me, everything is black and white when it comes down to Indigenous people living in the country we call Canada. It has not been a positive experience. Um, and for people who don't realize that, I would highly encourage you to take 15 minutes of your day and just do a quick Google search. Take 20 minutes. Do what you must, but make sure that you're well-informed before you make speeches. Make sure you're well-informed before you make your views public. Um, I want to say that going down the road, the relationship's going to strengthen I want to say that a lot of people are going to come to the uh, the plight of the Indigenous movement. Um, and I'm hopeful for that. But it's not going to happen if you don't take your time to to, to form that opinion. Um, so from me to you, take that time. Do the research. Use the tools that are at your disposal. Everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has a computer. Everybody has something that they could use to to inform themselves. So... Those are my traveling thoughts. Awesome! Don't don't forget to don't forget to tweet this podcast. Don't forget to share this podcast yeah. with your friends. Don't forget to click like click the the blue like button on yeah. Facebook. Or uh, you can, you could heart it too. You can get a, a reaction. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. 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 Give give us a reaction and yeah. spread us around social media yeah. and and tell all your friends about one dish, one mic in the heart of the pop up podcast studio at Cowork Niagara. Thank you everybody for for listening to our podcast today. Thank you very much. Until next time. Thanks for listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Your hosts are Carl Dockstader 
and Sean Vanderklis. Recording is done at the Pop-Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara, home of Niagara's independent workforce. Executive producer is Trevor Twining. Production assistance by Daniel Twining. Show artwork by Mitch Baird. Music by DJ Shub, used with permission. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Niagara Podcasts. <laughs>